tell us anything. <laughs> Toussaint, I'm supposed to talk to Brianna Joy Gray tomorrow. Yay. Tell her I said hi. She won't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, uh, I've been manifesting this. For how many months have we been talking about this? Yeah, don't be a creep. I mean, this is the only chance I have to no. film the greatest podcast power couple known to man. The greatest podcast power couple is uh, Dave and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Facts. <laughs> I'm your host, Jason Miles, and welcome to our bi-monthly stream with our good friends Matt and David over at Left Reckoning. Before we start, if you're new to the channel, please hit like, subscribe, and don't forget to ring that notification bell so you're alerted whenever we go live. Also, if you're watching on the Left Reckoning channel, give TIR a like and a sub. If you're watching on TIR, give Left Reckoning a like and a sub. That simple passive gesture goes a long way in the support of independent left media. Also, after the show, if you're a patron, we'll be going to the phones to take calls and hear what you have to say about the topics discussed on this show. For those of you that are subscribers and patrons, thank you for your continued support. That is the fuel and the engine of the TIR machine. If you'd like to wear your support, let people know with TIR merch. And who can talk about that better than the faceless voice of reason in Tucson. Please welcome him Tucson. Hello, hello. Contrary to Jason's opinion, I do have a face. No, no. I'm gonna cover your face with the hoodie now. You, you know, you no one saw your face. Did I tell you, I think I might've mentioned this at the live show someone was asking is it were you there and you were standing next to that person and i was like oh she was standing right next to you he's like what where <laughs> i'm like and this is why i will never show her face there you go just so we can do that one thing it's more fun that way i think so, I think. I think so. yeah it's probably um, worth it i think so um you know what else is worth it what else is worth it TIR merch. Oh! Gotta love it. 
controversial symbol. Sure to be a conversation starter. Yes. That's what we that's what we aim to do here. Start uncomfortable conversations. Uncomfortable conversations on the subway. When strange people want to talk to you about your clothes. What does that mean, young lady, young man? You can talk to them about this podcast. What what is what is Anglo pessimism? What is what is that? That I'm an Anglo. I don't, maybe I don't like things all the time. I don't know if I'm a pessimist. Do we need a name for our, penis, our pessimism? And then you say, have you met Daniel Bessner? That's right. He's a black pill in the form of a person. <laughs> <laughs> I like the guy personally. Speaking of Daniel <laughs> Bessner, uh, Pascal Robert was just on Daniel Bessner's podcast, American Prestige. What's his name? So shout out to Daniel Bessner. Was um, he smiling as he is on this mouse pad? I think he was grinning the whole time. I believe it. Bessner's funny. But shout it's out to Derek, his partner. Bessner's been doing something that I don't do, which is posting the angry things people say about him on his show, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> he gets he gets a lot of uh, attacks. He's the pretty boy of the show. It's kind of he's a doctor, isn't he? <laughs> just like <laughs> he's he doesn't just play a doctor on TV. <laughs> he's actually a doctor. He's actually a, a doctor. A doctor, honey. Um, also, there was something that I forgot to mention that I've been forgetting to mention that if you are a patron um, or you're even thinking about becoming a patron, we have the full live New York show. Left is best. Give them a revolution. A full video and full audio. You can see it all. Can you see MT? Probably not because we hid her mm-hmm. off to the side. Strategic. Yeah, strategic. didn't tell the cameraman what to look for. No. Oh, we won't. We won't get into the cameraman. Um, someone said they thought Pascal was a pretty boy. They are right. Speaking of the pretty boy, let's bring in my homie, my dog, the man of the Mount Mount Hour. He mm-hmm. is the. Pascal Robert. Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings, Jason Miles. Peace and greetings, M2 Sun. What it is right now. (laughs) (laughs) You are in a you are in a very good mood. This is gonna be a great show. You're in a good mood. Um, another person in a good mood. Uh, he is known as David with the good hair. Please welcome David Crispin. How's it going, friends? Uh, it's going great. It looks like we're having a mustache off here, David. <laughs> yeah, we're going for it. Oh That's goodness. the thing is, <clears throat> there's a little period of time where Matt and I both had long hair, mm-hmm. and I'd wait till he shaved his mustache before growing mine out because there's <laughs> something about two long hair dudes with mustaches next to each other on camera all the time that I don't think really worked. um i i was on the fence i was uh because tucson always gives me shit when i shave but i was like i'm going on uh my booze show tomorrow to talk about leftism and love or loving a leftist or some valentine's day thing so i had to look good tucson you do you have a different personality that's very nice of you to say david but you don't have to deal with this person 
who becomes someone else when he has a mustache. I, I call him jerk ass Jason. <laughs> jerk ass Jason shows no grace. I'm entering my Ron O'Neill phase of this mustache. How much nicer with the beard? I have no idea. All the white people now are Googling who Ron O'Neill is. He's a pusher. He's a. <laughs> Superfly. Speaking of Ron O'Neill, he may be the Ron O'Neill of North Dakota. Please welcome Matlek. <laughs> oh, yeah, I get that all the time. <laughs> Matlek, what it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get Pascal in the booth right now. <laughs> There's a, there is a lot of porn stashes on the screen right now. This looks like you're right. Uh, this yeah. looks all kinds of. I'm looking on the screen and I'm reading what Andy William just wrote. And I'm like, oh damn, this looks inappropriate. <laughs> Everything on the screen right now looks in a Matt's wearing a tank top, knowing it's 12 degrees outside. <laughs> so merch, I actually, I, merch. The official you know left funny? reckoning tank top. Oh, cool. You know what's hella funny? Like no bullshit. I'm treating this tomorrow show like when you're finna go to the mall to go try to walk by the girl you like that works at Foot Locker. I um <laughs> I, I got <laughs> I got my left reckoning tank ready. Hell yeah. Oh, so man. I can show off oh, all the taco meat. Taco meat, man. Seriously, man. <laughs> man nipples and taco meat. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I wish you had a beard for this. This guy's going on a show talking about loving the left with a dad bod, man nipples, and taco meat. <laughs> Dad bod, small rods. Am I right? Dad <laughs> bod, small. Dang. That's Jason so with mean. the beard would never. Jason with the beard would probably wear a button up. Jason with the mustache is going to wear a tank top. Unbelievable. I might even do the to do my segment outside. <laughs> Because you're jerk ass Jason now. Jerk ass Jason. Okay. I'm going to stop being jerk ass Jason. Because there's important things we have to talk about today on Revolutionary Reckoning. I'm sorry, I played the wrong intro music. But I will play the correct outro music for the Revolutionary Reckoning show. What we do here, if you're new to what we do here, we do a news show where we cover some topics that are a little more evergreen. And Pascal Robert, we're going to kick it off with you um, talking about what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, we're also starting off with you because it's February. Oh, but I'm seriously, the, I'm the blackest of the history months. You're <laughs> yes, we haven't. Have we had a black person on yet? Um, no, we will to um, Saturday. M2 Sun's been here, that counts. <laughs> True, right? We we had this long conversation. We were finally going to have all these black people. And then there's like Ostar Bear. And... 
we we we, we uh pushed them towards the middle and end of the month okay and i won't feel okay well but seriously we're bringing uh you're bringing something that i haven't seen too much discussion about the fact that the republican state legislature majority of mississippi is creating a judicial district to handle crime in pre predominantly democratic and black jackson mississippi uh, this is from an article in the Mississippi Today publication. A white supermajority of the Mississippi House voted after an intense four-hour-plus debate to create a separate court system and an expanded police force within the city of Jackson, the blackest city in America that would be appointed completely by white state officials. If House Bill 1020 becomes law later this session, the white chief justice of the mississippi supreme court would appoint two judges to oversee a new district within the city one that includes all of the city's majority white neighborhoods among other areas the white state attorney general would appoint four prosecutors a court clerk and four public defenders for the new district the white state public safety commissioner would oversee an expanded capital police force run currently by a white chief the appointments by state officials would occur in lieu of judges and prosecutors being elected by local residents of Jackson and Hines County, as in the case in every other municipality and country in the state. Tell us what this means for people of Jackson. I say that it has some hard troubles of lately, especially with things like their drinking water. Right, right. Well, this is a really uh, profound development for a variety of reasons. For those who are not aware, Jackson, Mississippi, in recent history, was considered to be one of the more radical <clears throat> transformative municipal developments under the Jackson Cush plan, where a friend of show Kali Akuno, who's been on our program, had a plan to develop a cooperative economic model, much in lines with the uh, uh, Malcolm X Grassroots Association that comes out of the Republic of New Africa movement of the 60s. For those who are not aware, the Republic of New Africa was a kind of radical socialist black nationalist movement that argued to have uh, black people in the South have dominion and control over certain actual states and be able to develop uh, cooperative socialist economies. And the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement developed from that, that movement and recently was able to develop a plan to not only create a cooperative economic model in Jackson, Mississippi, but with the cooperation of the Lumumba administration, they were able to actually elect a government that was friendly to their agenda. Now, for those of you who don't know, which is obvious, Mississippi is not exactly known to be the most progressive, socialist-friendly state in the country. Jackson being its capital, the state has always been not only somewhat uh, distrusting of the agenda of the Jackson Cush plan and the attempt to try to give black residents in that area dominion and control of the economic uh, uh, sovereignty, but they've been outwardly hostile in attempting to sabotage the uh, of efforts of the Lumumba administration to effectively uh, control the, the situation in that municipality. And what has happened in terms of the recent decision of the state legislature is that they are doing something unprecedented. Understand that basically the political situation in the legislature of Mississippi is not only divided along party lines, but divided along racial lines. Because it is in the South, we shouldn't be surprised that the majority of the legislature are Republicans, but they're also you know, white conservatives. At the same time, 
the few blacks that are in the legislature are also in the Democratic Party. One of the consequences of this is that the, the majority white Republican legislature has set forth a plan to basically strip Jackson, Mississippi's capacity to elect not only its judges and municipal police force, but to put that in the hands of the legislature, as well as the Supreme Court and the state administrations, who have always been hostile to the attempt of Jackson to maintain dominion and control of its affairs, and now have that reactionary right wing, and probably also a white majority, govern or choose who those institutions will be made up of in perpetuity, which is a significant attempt to remove sovereignty from Jackson. And if you don't think there's a correlation between the desire of the municipal government of Jackson to implement this kind of progressive, cooperative economic model under the Jackson-Cush plan, and the Lumumba administration being a progressive or believed to be one of the more progressive Black administrations in uh, in in uh, the South, then you know I have a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. But at the same time, we do have to realize that Jackson, Mississippi, does have a black political class, and there are class tensions that exist between the government, the the mayoralty of Jackson, and people like Kali Akuno and the Jackson Kush uh, movement organizers as well. But at the same time, this this combined with the water shortage problem, the water problems they've had as well illustrates that the state of Mississippi is not interested in seeing a progressive left-leaning political project of black political sovereignty within its jurisdiction and will do everything possible to sabotage it. Does anybody have any comments? I mean, I, I wonder um, how uh, how credible the threat is um, just because <clears throat> I, We've been seeing the Republicans been trying to play this game. Like Republicans love to talk about small government, local government. You know, they don't like big government, but they don't like when local government starts going, <laughs> up and, you know, the, the shit that they want to do. I mean, I'm just saying because here in 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 Austin, there's been like a historical fascination with like weird ass Republicans to try to turn Austin into like a D.C. style thing where the city is run by the state mm -hmm. instead of the city being run by the people like you would want it to be. Um, but it never seems to get off the ground. Um, but I feel like in Mississippi, there might be more of a, of a concerted push to do this versus then a couple folks trying to do some theater. <laughs> oh no. Cause the legislation is already passed. I mean, I, I ultimately, I think this, should, this is going to be challenged in federal courts and it's going to be the, the ultimate decision is probably going to be decided there because we already can see that the state Supreme Court in Mississippi is hostile to the city of Jackson. And, you know, and whatever kind of uh, fortune they have in the federal courts, I wish them well. But the bottom line is, is that this, as far as we can see right now, this plan is probably going to go through and it's going to take major legislation, major uh, judicial action and, uh, uh, and, and, and on the part of the municipality to fight this because, uh, Jackson, Mississippi legislature has had Jackson in the sights for a long time. Where is the goddamn federal government when you need them? <laughs> like, seriously, <laughs> it's crazy the shit that Republicans are doing across this country right now, and they get no pushback from the federal government. From like this to like a governor of a state here 
like running parallel border operations, something that a nation should be set in, not a governor of a state. And the Biden administration is just completely out to launch on all of these things. It's 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 been amazing to me to watch this. Even like we know who what the Democratic Party is, we know where their interests are, but like even for like their political theater, their political base, like showing up for these fights makes a lot of sense to me. Like beyond just the moral and like political reasoning, just like from like the show of it to come up against this Republican Party that you say is like the most threatening and dangerous and anti-democratic force in American society. Do you think it has anything to do with Mississippi not really really having anything to offer for Democrats in general and having a pretty small population? It's not a swing state. Yeah, it's just sure. Yeah. And I mean that's why something like that um which could be a I mean I, but it's a story that could resonate broadly just because of that like small government or you have control over your own backyard sort of politics mm-hmm. that like who cares who directly like this is this is a national game right like you know um go in and get caught like be fighting for something like that and of course i mean yeah i, I think they don't want to set that also i think they're just like frankly though like i think they're just tuned out like really Not interested yeah <laughs> Like they 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 don't get they don't get this. This doesn't get to DC. Once election time comes around, maybe we'll uh, be able to uh, give some attention to it. There's no culture war here. Yeah, well, there, there could there, be. I mean, like you know, you not to trivialize it and say it's culture war, but like you could do the kind of dem- like neoliberal democratic thing here for sure. Um, but the upside I, for them, I guess, they find to be minuscule, and like they're not interested in protecting. Uh, these people from what is, I mean, just a very clear attempt, not just to like um, do nasty Republican stuff, but to deny people their rights in a democracy to be able to decide who's in charge, right? Which you should be able to do. I think if Mississippi and Jackson particularly was governed by a certain type of political administration mm. that was policy and administratively in line with the corporate Democrat agenda, i.e. Hakeem Jeffries mm. kind of, uh, what's the guy who's the new governor, the new governor of, uh, of Maryland, Wes Moore, mm. Hakeem Jeffries type aesthetic of the neoliberal corporatist Trojan horse, black political administration. I think you would see more national MSNBC type media as well as brouhaha in the, cha- in the channels mm. of the federal government. But because this is a, a, a municipality that has the patina of a left-seeming government, government that has been in line with a radical socialist agenda, it doesn't. It's not going to seem chic for the corporate Democratic Party to try to protect their interests. In, in, or, in, and it's also just like a fire they don't want to give any oxygen to, right? They right. don't want that to spread. Yeah. No, that's that's a great point. No, that's that's yes. Well, moving on. Uh, last time we had a revolutionary reckoning, it was Pascal that brought up tech layoffs highlighting Amazon, but it looks like Zoom, who had a massive growth during the early days of the pandemic, is going to be laying off a whopping 15% of its workforce, citing the uncertainty of the global economy. For the reason, and of course, it's rapid growth as well. David, what is going on with these tech companies and these massive layoffs? Well, you know, this one's interesting because Zoom is a company that, you know, typically when you talk about uh, tech companies, it's all speculation, right? Mm -hmm. It's this idea that eventually there's going to just be such dominance that there'll be massive returns on 
on investment. That's why you talk about a lot of companies like Uber, for example, like, you know, weren't really ever making profits, but it was this idea that they were just going to be able to saturate and control the market. Zoom was something that was really small that exploded because of particular conditions being the pandemic that forced a lot of people to work from home and then zoom exploded i mean i don't know it, it it's only a couple of years ago but i remember feeling a little fancy suggesting <laughs> to, to michael when uh when we when we got shut sent home I was like oh, i've been hearing about this new technology called zoom maybe we should use that to record <laughs> you know me thinking i was being clever thinking the same thing 300 million other americans were thinking um but you know this one. This one is is interesting to me because, like, yeah, you know, if if you've been paying attention, there's been the tech industry has been hit with a significant amount of layoffs, and the Zoom one, like, look, there's like a kind of straight business um, paper way to report on this. Zoom doesn't know what to do in the kind of post lockdown era, and because it's so associated with the time that was so horrible for so many people it also just has like bad brand recognition right the thing about zoom you think about all of those kind of sad excuses for person-to-person meetups and things like that um you know so you know there's the kind of business strategy about zoom what it will be able to do in the future they're trying to pivot to utilizing other kind of add-ons that other companies use like um calendar updates and you know email things just to basically make it competitive with google's um lineup but what I think that this this really um, shows is that there's something that is happening in, in the tech world. So not just Zoom, but across the tech world where this industry that had been pumped with so much money and remembered that it was a lot of money that was going into this idea that like a lot of these tech companies were going, you know, they were the future. They were going to promise massive returns. Um, but it also was being done in a period of time where interest rates were really low which mm-hmm. meant that investors were trying to find things that were going to grow very quickly and exponentially. And you saw the vast majority of like the capitalist class, like the people with money. And remember, it's not like when we make these arguments about capitalists, it's not just the argument that mm-hmm. that they have more than others, right? That's certainly a part of it. But there's the socialist critique, which is also, this is not the best way to run a society, right? Mm-hmm. Wherein the people who get to make the decisions on what gets invested in and what doesn't get invested in are people just trying to chase a dollar. And what's happening right now in, in the tech market is all of the um, kind of ideas of like rational planning that was happening under the free market system is being shown um, to be false because all of these companies, when they don't have that advantage of having really access to really, really cheap money, they're starting to have to look at their company and say, oh, wait a second. This actually doesn't have any real possibility of being profitable. Oh, wait a second. Um, you know, we are the the fundamentals of our business are are fairly weak, and we also don't have a lot of like base capital or like base um structure here. Like if you own a factory, a car factory, like you own a factory and a piece of land and all this stuff. A lot of these companies are are built around like ideas. And the problem the good thing about an idea is an idea can get really, really hot and attract a lot of money really quickly. But when things get bad, the floor is really, really low there. So the tech companies are getting hit with a capitalist investor class right now that is saying we want strong fundamentals in what we're going to invest in and what we're not going to invest in. So, you know, Zoom's certainly struggling because of the change in like the actual dynamics of, of work in this country, where Zoom as a platform is becoming less attractive. But it's not just Zoom. It's all of these companies that are, are, are facing um, you know, significant layoffs. And it shows, too, why 
as a left movement, you know, a lot of times, you know, people um, on, on the left correctly recognize that there's a certain kind of worker that is attracted to left politics, right? And we definitely need to be paying attention to the fact that that tends to be a more credentialed, maybe even at times like higher wage earning worker. Um, but these kind of moments show that we're all sort of sitting under the same kind of system. And while we should certainly be saying we need to be expanding and growing, continuing to have strong presence in tech industry in places like this is important because those people are on the chopping block and those people have a lot of necessary skills and understandings of systems that we certainly want to be um, you know, having as a part of any kind of winning coalition in the future. Ooh, Pascal, I know you have something to add. No, it's a really interesting, interesting consideration because if you look at the actual left coalition that we have now in America, assuming that you buy into the popular front strategy of the uh, kind of progressive socialist friendly left working with the Democratic Party, they tend to be college educated people, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether we like it or not, the reality of the fact is, is that the left flank of capital right now in America is not populated really with like working class lumpen or even proletarian folk. It's really much more uh, populated with folk who have some level of college education. I don't think that's necessarily a good prognostication for the future of the left, but it is the reality. And the question becomes, how do we translate that into policy agendas that actually become inclusive for people that we... I, we always claim that we're actually concerned about. And it's a conundrum that I always find myself struggling with, and I don't really have the answer for it, quite frankly. You know, Matt, Matt Karp had a really good piece on class dealignment in Jacobin. And, uh, you know, people get so pissy with Matt Karp. Um, I think his stuff has been excellent. I watched audience. him on your show uh, recently, and I, I loved his take. I just finished writing my piece for Sublation and watched that thing that he did, and I was like, damn, I'm <laughs> wish, wish I would have talked to him beforehand. No, he he 100% gets it. And like, there's been a lot of criticism because like, <laughs> I don't want to come off as contradicting myself. So, so give me a second, right? Um, there is this tendency on like a lot of the people who are like in this left, right? Whatever we want, however we really want to define it, who see that there's not a lot of representation of like the quote unquote, like blue collar worker. And they sort of are like, that's a good thing. And we're just going to try to do care work and like tech work workers as like our coalition. And I think that's a dead end strategy. It's not what I'm um, interested in doing. And I think that you should take very seriously, um, you know, the fact that the message isn't reaching certain groups and that takes, you know, self-criticism, self-understanding. But there's this other tendency, I think, that sees the, the fact that some groups are like maybe overrepresented. And sort of almost wants an implosion. And what I'm trying to say is that, like, if you have a group of people here, what we should be thinking about doing is expanding and growing and figuring out maybe what's not working to attract certain groups, maybe what's being overrepresented in terms of policy and ideology or whatever. Um, but also recognize that in like this economy that we have in, in this country, like you are going to want to have people who work in industries like tech, for example, like in that left coalition like if you are in a confrontation with capital you want people who understand the systems of like mass surveillance like mass communication all of these kind of things on 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 your side and you know a, a moment like this i think like makes it really clear too for even people in in those in that class and category because like if you think about it 
if you are a tech worker right now who's been laid off, usually you would say like you're pretty solid, right? But if you think about the amount of people who've been laid off in the past like month and a half, mm -hmm. that means that every job opening has, you know, a significant amount of candidates, which means that the threat of like prolonged unemployment um, yes. is sitting on top of those people's heads as yes. well. And like, how can we expand that kind of consciousness with a lot of those workers who I think do think of themselves as separate um, from like the general like working class to build up that strong like coalition that's necessary? I mean, one of the things that like should be helpful for building a strong left is the fact that you know, you can have like tremendous amounts of advantage and a college degree gives you that a high inc income um, wage gives you that. Um, but the the general precariousness of labor in this country across the board is really touching everybody. Like even those groups that are like have, you know, advantages are sit sitting here in a moment where like it's hard to get a job after getting fired from a Zoom or getting fired well, from a Google. That, that's what people were saying that no one was listening to about Elon taking over uh, Twitter. And, you know. Yeah. No, that was. Yeah. It's, it's going to be hard to leave whether or not you like the new regime or not, because where mm -hmm. are you going to go when everywhere in the industry is doing massive layoffs, probably in in the uh, department that you're in. And uh, I was reading in Business Insider, these are management, middle management level layoffs as well, as most people don't think it's, it's going to be middle management. Like a lot of middle managers are currently getting uh, laid off as well. What do you guys think is going to be the thing with H-1B visas? Do you think there's going to be more H-1B um, visas? And do you think people are going to come in, you know, taking less money? <clears throat> I mean, that's it's it's a good question. I mean, the the base for that politically is the Democratic Party, and are they going to be willing to to have that that kind of fight? It's hard to say because right now, like on everything, I'm not seeing very much fight from the Biden administration, even on things that are sort of stated parts of that Democratic Party coalition. But like on that point that you're saying, I think like Sean, as a worker on Twitter had like a really good, like kind of hot take about Musk when he took over Twitter, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, Musk is going to come in here and say he's trying to deal with the censorship problem on Twitter. But maybe this is just like a nice face on a coming massive tech worker layoff. And it turns out that he well, was <laughs> ben Shapiro, uh, like I think he was talking about the Disney one, but he's like, his response was, well, you play woke games, you win woke prizes. And <laughs> What's the woke game that any of these people were playing? A uh, gay representation in Pixar films uh, is, uh, is so what? Like, look, I know some y'all you know, do some cultural stuff on on the show, and like, I you know, I think it's definitely an interesting thing to like jump into. But like, there's nothing funnier to me than watching fucking like Seb Gorka and like and like Ben Shapiro have to like chime in on like every new movie or tv show like seb gorka did like 20 minutes on the last of us which is a great show by the way you know where he's on his mind what is there gay people on it oh yeah there's like the episode three there's a very long with um nick offerman and i forget the other actor's name it's like the the like the third episode is like really like a a, a gay love story and it was a great piece of television it was awesome um mm. and like you know Seb Gorka's got to sit around for 20 minutes and, and say things like, 
In theater, there is a principle that if something does not move the plot forward, it must be jettisoned. It must be jettisoned. He's <laughs> just doing that for 20 minutes about like the zombie show, which again, like I think is good, but like I couldn't imagine as a professional having to dedicate as much time as they do to whatever fucking thing. I don't like, you know, like I hate remakes. I get when people get mad at like, oh, you're remaking and you're throwing in like these yeah. characters that are, are black. To a certain degree. I kind of will listen to a certain degree because ultimately I don't care. So we're talking about make believe. Like if James Bond's not real, dude, don't get your feelings hurt. If you know Idris Elba plays James Bond, he's not a real dude. It's not your dad. No, they have real oh. guys like that. <laughs> <laughs> like um, I, I don't care if if a character is gay in a movie is the movie interesting you know but i guess these guys are really that's that's the cult you know gene bajlan said last year he's like you know with a with a uh, democratic administration republicans can't run on tax cuts for only the one percent so they have to just go go ham on culture war stuff and that's literally what we're seeing it's just insanity on what was it the purple tucson what was it purple m&ms or, or some of that was oh yeah the green m&m don't have boots anymore so <laughs> is that she's right not sexy and it's unfuckable right? <laughs> i can't fuck that cartoon she wears sensible shoes now yeah it's just witch hunt energy that's all the republicans are tapping into yeah but the problem is that it it, it has an effect so a lot of people buy into it that's, that's oh yeah absolutely it's timeless what, what, you know what particularly when you have a leftist that offering material politics it, you know you know why because you can have an argument about that shit and you don't have to know anything because it's all feelings it's for babies you don't have yeah. to care literally for babies like i don't know Watching the Grammys, uh, people were upset about things that happened in the Grammys. The fuck? It's like if I see one more post about the Illuminati and the Grammys. That's like, <laughs> God, oh my god! Oh, I, did you see the picture of Daisy drinking blood? Oh, that was you, really good. Yeah, did y'all see that? Yeah, because wine is not that thick. <laughs> yeah, he's yep. drinking like a. If I were to guess, like. A very, very nice, like 16% ABV Cabernet Sauvignon. Ooh. And they're like, oh, I've wow. never seen wine that color. Fancy, fancy, dude. Look at this guy. Yeah. Is, is that guy with your pulled pork? <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to eat this brisket, <laughs> the best pairing of wine. Hey, we're growing wine in Texas now, so I know a thing or two about it. But no, I mean, it was like, I, th that conspiracy stuff is so wild to me because it's like mm -hmm. the most, like, What's the most obvious answer when you see a picture of somebody holding a wine glass with a red liquid in it? Is that like, <laughs> oh, it's like a nice dark red wine? Right. No, it's blood. <laughs> but, but no, you know what's even funnier is no one talks about all these blood banks in the hood. Places where grocery stores were when I was growing up are being replaced with blood banks. That's wild. You know what I mean? And, and I'm sure Jay-Z has some stock in that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what's the like uh the plasma services and stuff? Yeah, like dude, that you get ads for that, Matt. I it was all over my college town. People, I knew people all the time who did it, or the um, it was test for medications, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, prax mm -hmm. studies, and it was just it was just all kids like who needed more money for fucking you know dinner. 
I get it. I don't know. I'm on some list for being a poor boy. And like, I get a lot of crazy mail of like the most usury, like payday loan things. But my Instagram right now, I, I just get plasma ads all the time. Like donate your plasma, make a thousand bucks and buy a, a Mac. So you can sit at McDonald's and not Starbucks with your MacBook and just shit all over all the homeless people that have to hang out there. It's pretty wild stuff. <laughs> That's how they're selling the blood bank. Like, hey, sell some plasma and uh you know shit on some poor people. <laughs> flex. Yeah, you flex dark, on man. some poor people with your plasma. It's dark. Your yeah. I mean, the God whole damn, thing man. is dark. You think Jay Z, like, if the conversation is like, oh, this gay guy did a thing and he's a demon and so evil and Jay Z's drinking blood, yeah. but yeah, no do, one cares. About do you think Jay Z, do you think he did that thing with the like crypto where to like throw us off the trail of that? Like, where he just had a guy go to like a few projects and throw flyers down saying, here's financial literacy, <laughs> invest in <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> That was cool. It's <laughs> a good moment. Let's run some local news stories applauding that effort. Great job, Jay Z. Oh, <laughs> All the while, he's trying to look like Basquiat. <laughs> yeah, that has been a wild look for him, hasn't it? That's. Uh, I wish I could have been there in the salon and he was like, "Give me the Basquiat." <laughs> yeah. It's the it's the attempt to position himself as an intellectual bohemian capitalist. He's been doing this shit for about mm, ten years Dorsey. now. What was the video that he did where he had like Marina Abramovich in it and all these big name actors? And he did it at the mm. MoMA. Oh, What's I don't remember that. Mm. I don't remember that. Oh my god, you guys are killing me right now! All these yeah. young hip hoppers, you hippity hoppers. <laughs> I mean, the hip hop bourgeoisie is is for real, man. It's a serious kind of force in terms of. The, it's been the, since the Fort industry. Green. Was that what it's called, Fort Green? That where Spike Lee and all those dudes come out of, Rosie Perez. Yeah, but they didn't have the money like they have now. That's a different right. kind of. Yeah, you know, it didn't take long. Oh, it's but, been thirty. It's like years MJ long. money versus LeBron money. <laughs> <laughs> but it is i mean it's it's wild to see just like the i don't know the mental illness of being super rich because it's like for jay-z right like you know you see how like elon musk like desperately wants to be like beloved and thought of as like this special guy jack dorsey who, who matt and i have covered a lot like really like portrays like you know he's this sage who has like this deep understanding of the world it's like jay-z it's like you're jay-z man like you're like a fucking like an like you're an awesome rapper like you're cool you got money and it's just I like know. to add oh, on man. it's like oh i need people to like think of me as like a leonardo da vinci style like <laughs> whatever he's going for now you know um i don't like just, all the golden state warriors that are in now uh, with the silicon valley guys acting like that's all cool shit like it's not you're you're already like Draymond Green, don't you don't need to do <laughs> They moved that ball, Matt. They moved that place, and the Warriors. And before we we pivot to to you and your piece, I went to my fair share of Warrior games, and I'll definitely be one of those people that talk shit about the new stadium, even though I've been there a few times. And you could give away Warriors tickets at one mm. point in time. They were so bad, and that stadium. 
it's got the perfect location. There's literally a train that takes you into it. It's the freeway exits into the parking lot. It can't be any better, but there's just nothing that's ever been built around it. It's in a bad area, <laughs> horrible area of town. Um, but when those dudes moved to that new stadium, not too far from where the Giants play in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The, and, it, and, and it was already changing when you went to Oakland already. You were seeing different people showing up to the game because tickets got so expensive when they started winning, much like when the San Francisco Giants, another place you could have given tickets away. No one used to show up to games when the Giants play the Dodgers. The cameraman would just be focused on the fights in the stands, never the game itself. They start winning. You have this new influx of of uh, transient tech workers. That everyone's wearing a Giants hat. With the Warriors, it was the same thing. And it, yeah, it's it's not. It's it doesn't even feel the same when you're in the new stadium. Oh, I bet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I felt so bad for for Oakland, like you know, losing the Warriors, losing the Raiders. It was just like I don't know. Something the Raiders really- hurt. And I'm, I, I hate the Raiders. I'm not a Raiders fan at all. I'm Bronco, <laughs> but it, I'm wearing a Bronco shirt. I hate, I hated seeing what happened because it just became empty. There's this massive encampments down uh, International Boulevard, which is the street the stadium's off of, oh, and uh, it's it, it's just sad. I think there's like a couple thousand people that go show up to A's games. Mm. And I, when I was a kid, the A's were breaking attendance records. When I was 11 and 12 years old, living in Richmond, California, which is in the East Bay, everybody wanted to be an A's fan. Mark McGuire was there hitting home runs. Jose Canseco was there. Dayton Madonna hitting home runs. Ricky Henderson, the pride of Oakland. Uh, Dave Henderson, Dave Stewart. I mean, that team kind of embodied the city. Like, I've never seen a team embody the city. Maybe like the 80s Niners <laughs> embodied a certain kind of of, of crowd with, with San Francisco. And to, to see what that has become mm-hmm. is just, it's I, like, I don't even understand the Bay anymore. <laughs> Damn. No, man, it's tough. I, I just like, whenever I think about shit here, I always remember Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's sad dude 2000 they're saying things like dude more people showed up to watch oakland tech play no (laughs) which is the high school than the than the a's damn it's it's bad man and you know coach will will tell you man you know because he's he's out there he still lives in oakland too so it's uh it's it's sad but uh to depress all your way out of that To depress you guys even more. <laughs> Matt, you wanted to talk about the GOP's denunciation of socialism and maybe some factors behind that. It could be more than fear of breadlines and gulags. Redistributive policies are the real fear here, along with worker power. From an article in The Racket. On the campaign trail in 2019, Phillips took obvious pride in the wages offered at his Minneapolis and Wayatsa cafes at Penny's coffee. We pay a $15 minimum wage because it's the, because it's not because it's the easy thing to do, but the right thing to do. He said, while stumping for a $15 federal minimum wage, 
Um, a cynic could argue that for the 21st wealthiest member of Congress, it's both right and easy. On Thursday, Maryam Karachi took legal action against pennies, alleging that her employers, Dean Phillips and brother Jay Phillips, willfully failed to compensate her for overtime hours worked at both cafes between 2019 and 2022. Interestingly, as pointed out by a racket tipster, that same day Phillips voted for the GOP's denunciating the horrors of socialism resolution a bad faith largely symbolic motion intended to uh rid up oh god i'm sorry my my computer cut it off um sorry man my, my thing is all that's messed. fine that's i think that's <laughs> you have, you have here. um i got a few here i just want to shout out the racket because i do appreciate putting it in the context of uh of that and that's why zeta i, I believe um i could uh, argue that for the 21st century's wealthiest member of congress is the right thing to do um, just a little bit about Dean Phillips, um, cause he's done this sort of denunciation, uh, stuff before. Um, well, a little bit of background. Phillips has an ownership stake in several businesses. This is from a business insider, um, list of, uh, rich, uh, people that are, uh, represent us, which I think we all love. <laughs> it's fun to know. We just exactly how good they are at making money. Um, Phillips has an ownership stake in several businesses, various stock holdings, mutual funds, government securities, various life insurance policies, and hedge funds. He is a co-founder of Penny's Coffee, a Minnesota-based coffee shop chain, a former chairman for Talenti Gelato, and former CEO of Phillips Distilling Company. That's, of course, named. Uh, Phillips is, uh, he holds a lot of stock there. Phillips, who joined Congress, reported more than $2 million in liabilities and mortgages. Uh, he basically, oh, I, I don't know if it mentions it there, but Phillips distilling, uh, that's where his money's from his uh, grandparents. So it's inherited. And that's sort of his defense against this is I'm sort of not really involved. It's just, you know, my money working. So don't blame me if there's something going wrong. Is that a whole uh, critique, by the way? What? <laughs> is that sort of the whole socialist critique of guys like that? Right, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, um, he's he's basically say, like that. Like he used it to run on. Oh, look at my bona fides. We need a businessman who's a Democrat. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm I, I'm not going to you know, you know, uh, support gay or uh, anti-gay bills or something like that. But um, Phillips. Uh, got on my bedside back in uh, 2021. He was a part of a petition of, uh, according to the Times of Israel, peace. Jewish Democrats accused colleagues of anti-Semitism over Israel criticism. This is when they uh, did uh, both sides, both Marjorie Taylor Greene and Ilhan Omar. Um, uh, we reject, this is after the, I can't remember what uh, you know Marjorie Taylor Greene said, who said, who cares. Um, we also reject comments from members of Congress accusing Israel of being an apartheid state and committing acts of terrorism, the letter said. The statements are anti-Semitic to their core and contribute to a climate that is uh, hostile to many Jews. Uh, and then they go into the Holocaust. Uh, actually, um, it's because Marjorie Taylor Greene, Greene was comparing COVID stuff to uh, the Holocaust. So they decided, well, let's condemn that. And also Ilhan. She's squaring that circle. Ilhan, don't say apartheid either. And, you know, of course, you know, apartheid at this point is a fairly uh, 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 editorially agreed upon word for uh, what's going on there. It, um, and 
I just wanted to highlight that. I didn't know I was in Mexico when this uh, denunciation of socialism dropped. I was worried I wasn't going to be able to get back to the country as somebody who uh, <laughs> does pay uh, um, uh, $15 a month to the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, uh, that's about as much as my involvement other than to say, like, go on, everyone, and play nice. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I was curious what you guys felt if you thought this was – like something to be concerned about uh on a does this get the ball rolling on uh like the fbi saying we're going to take out a few divisions and uh send it to these chapters make sure they're not up to any no good or is this uh you know elizabeth warren people like you know posturing saying you know we just because we're antitrust doesn't mean you can't vote for us no i i i I was very cognizant when that when that vote went down in the House, con, you know, the, you know, condemning the or speaking on the quote unquote victims of socialism. I always find it interesting. No one talks about the victims of capitalism and imperialism, but that's another conversation. The one of the things that struck me is that one of the people who voted for that re resolution, even though he did give lip service to saying how it was really superfluous, was Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, yeah, and uh, I noticed that right off the bat, and had the number of Democrats who voted along with Republicans on that as well. And what's really interesting, right, is that I looked at this congressional measure, the kind of you know uh, anti-socialism anti thing, and I'm looking at the, the rhetoric coming out of the right, and I'm hearing Trump in various broadcasts talking about the Marxist agenda against mm -hmm. me and the Marxist plan. And it's really clear that there are certain elements of the political establishment in this country that are very, very concerned with the fact that there is any popularity of socialism in American society, particularly amongst young people. I put up a poll uh, a couple of days ago that I shared with Jason, Jason and a few friends of ours in a text about even though socialism is increased in popularity, since 2016, the popularity has decreased about five to six or some odd points. So, mm. But there's also been a decrease in popularity in capitalism as well. But what that shows me is that even though there was a higher popularity around the 2016-2020 election because there has not been really any kind of a material move to make this kind of politics a reality. People are really thinking it's kind of like a pie-in-the-sky phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that the power elite in this country have been particularly worried about the fact that socialist politics gain popularity amongst the youth, amongst young people, and the working class. And I do believe that it's an active agenda to try to uh, make that go away as much as possible. No, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. And, like, um, you know, like, I, there's a few things to note about that vote. It's like, one, I think, yeah, like, like let's understand the context like this is like a stupid raw raw bill for the republicans right in the sense of like materially what it means but i don't know we're not that far out from paul robeson <laughs> sitting in front of the house of un-american activities committee um for being a for being a socialist and you know maybe to give an example that might be be more like recent for people to understand like remember when gay marriage was legalized in in this country and people sort of thought that wasn't going to come back again 
you know, like the the kind of stigma and attempts to end, you know, gay marriage in this country. Well, we're sitting here um, in 2023 where like I'm worried about family members maybe like having their marriages taken back from like the government here um, in Texas. So I don't think you can ever sit on your hands when you see shit like this and not think to yourself that like, oh, no, there's 100 percent a possibility of, of things ramping up. Um, what I think though is the most notable about this is one, it wasn't just like a condemnation of like socialism. The, if you re- read the text of it, it was straight up like Nazi anti-socialist <laughs> propaganda, like saying like the, 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 you know, they put up the debunked like hundred million people killed by socialism. You know, that number includes abortions, uh, in the Soviet Union that includes Nazis that the Soviet Union killed in World War II, right? So, like, note where th- this stuff is coming from, where, like where they're getting their facts from. That's worrying. And two, like the thing that I focused on 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 left record when you're away, Matt. If you don't, um, I hope you don't think I catch me up. Sorry, <laughs> um, was uh, uh, was the, the Rokana vote. Um, because Ro Khanna voted for it. And like I've been somebody who's been very down on Ro Khanna for a long time, particularly because I think that he's somebody who wants to poise himself as somebody to sort of take on the Bernie Sanders energy. And this is somebody who spent the entire time when he was campaigning for Bernie saying he didn't really think Bernie was a socialist. And, you know, for me, like the Bernie hope is one, like he wins, which is great. And two, that it's a really great kind of like public campaign for us to build up understanding of, of socialism. And like, so I always mistrusted him um, from that. And people were saying, oh, well, David, like, oh, whatever. He's just doing this. It doesn't matter. It gives him protection. One, the Republicans are always going to call you a socialist, no matter who the fuck you are, if, if you're not a Republican. Obama. Two, if it doesn't mean anything now and he's willing to do it, that makes me more scared about what he'll do when it might actually mean something and giving him like a real advantage in the future. And last, I don't know if y'all saw this, but in his defense of his vote on Twitter, do you know who he cited as uh, as inspiration? Oh, was it the the Kaiser? Bismarck. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, my home, my home area, out of Bismarck, Bismarck, North Dakota, baby. Yeah, no, was, yeah. shout out Bismarck, Iron Chancellor. <laughs> no, he was going. He was going after, <laughs> you know, after after Bismarck, and you know, for people, this is a long ass time ago, so. Um, people might not know what, what, like the best fence of what he's trying to say is that like Bismarck had some like level of like national renewal, um, progressive in the sense of like it being better than the previous system, like changes to the system, um, in Germany, but he also like waged war on the socialist parties, you know, and banned them and did all this kind of stuff. And I think that uh, to give Roe some fairness, I don't think Roe is citing him in the sense of Bismarck being anti-democracy and anti-socialist party. But like, that's also the guy that he's like saying like, oh, that's who we should be modeling some <laughs> of our politics after. Um, I think, you know, I think it's bad. Um, and, um, you know, Roe's been somebody who I've been very worried about getting too big because I will just say on the other side, I'm also <clears throat> not somebody who can't see the difference between different people who are lining up against us, right? Like if Roe wants to vote for Medicare for all and we get in a situation where like or we have, have good more policy. social representation mm-hmm. and Roe is a vote there, I'm happy to have him with us on that. But right. I think it's also important like when you do have some level of alliances with people is knowing 
that you know these people want a very very different thing from you and in fact like don't want you to succeed to at, at to a certain level um and i thought it was i don't know i thought it was a really clear moment where a lot of folks um stand on 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 this question pascal i i, I totally agree with dave man it's just that uh <clears throat> We should not underestimate as people who are on the socialist to radical revolutionary socialist left, the possibility of these people coming after us at some point. I mean, it, don't like don't underestimate well, uh, at be- all. <clears throat> before I before we end the show, I mean, did you guys watch that thing on Democracy Now? Where the guy, uh, the guy infiltrated in was it Denver? The the yeah. leftist movements. I was getting people no, to like tell me about that. I don't know about it. Uh, he was an informant for the for the feds. Yeah, he was convincing like, people to like buy guns and do violence during George Floyd. I mean, it wasn't white bearded dude. I mean, there was a lot of that. You heard like stories, and it's hard to know. Like you know, there, mm. who knows how much credit? You you shouldn't invest much credibility in a whole lot. But like uh, stories of that sort of instigatory behavior, and that is like. I mean, shit, government's been doing that since, like, uh, 150, 60 yeah. years ago. Since the start, <laughs> like, right? Like, yeah. Well, the thing is, it wasn't hard. You know, it wasn't like he had to get vetted and, you know, he did all this infiltration. He Like, if you looked at how he looks, he looks like a joke. He's got like well, the- that's the thing is like it just needs to be a guy that they can get to and give him information and tell him what to do. Like, the guy who planted a gun on, uh, uh, I forget her name, um uh so and by dapple was just mm-hmm. a brother of a fucking like cop or a security guy mm-hmm. and they'd like said i can't remember what the offer was or if it was to expunge shit or what it was but like it got him to f- try like f- get this woman to fall in love with him and plant the gun in her hoodie like you know yeah uh, it's it, yeah also shout out to emma viglin who is uh who's chilling yeah that's what i was about to say who who also may, makes a good point too that uh, Kana is is suspicious, um, but Katie Porter voted against the uh, the socialism bill. So, um, oh, she really? Yeah, of course. Red Fun Phallus. Sorry, I just wanted to put that name. That's Red Fun Phallus. Oh, is that Emma Vigil in the chat? Mm-hmm. Looks like Yo, it. Yo, Emma, what up? <laughs> <laughs> Who's winning the Super Bowl? <laughs> Who's winning the Super Bowl? The Chiefs. The real Dallas Texans, the Chiefs. <laughs> Going there. I'm, I'm probably. I mean, I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I, I might. Have, I, I'm worried that the Chiefs aren't going to have the steam, though. I don't so. want the Chiefs to win because I hate Patrick Mahomes' face. Okay. Wow. I hate his hair. You stop with the as anti- long as it's a serious Who in your anti light skin energy, man? Too many light skin people, man. Too many light skin people. Jason has an endemic <laughs> contempt for light-skinned Negroes. It's really. <laughs> I told I told Brianna, I said, if I'm going to be on the show, you can't have Teray on the show. There's no light-skinned people. It has to be. Oh my god! What do y'all think about the um the? Have you seen any of the script stuff? I'm so tired of that. Everybody <laughs> it's such got a, a stupid meme, man. It's so good. These cats are like, and then a, I'm like, dude, come on, man, come on. You re- really? That's what you okay. You just walk away at that point. Those are just yeah. I don't walk think away you have to. Like if if I'm in a room and there's a QAnon guy and a NFL and all sports have a script guy, I might go to the QAnon guy and be like, "Tell me more." 
because this guy over here is an idiot. Oh, you, oh yeah, you're you're well, going on over the NFL over, script yeah, people. Yeah. yeah, the script guys just don't play sports, right? So it's like yeah. I just ignore them. Who cares? <laughs> um, I did when I was in Mexico. There's a basketball court there, and it's funny because I remember when I was playing basketball, like in the 2000s, it was all learn your turner on jumper which yep. is just an inefficient shot no one does except like Michael Jordan and Kobe. And mm-hmm. I pre- I was practicing uh, step back threes. And I must say I hit at least four of them before I got winded. Um, <laughs> I had to go inside. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Tucson, did you read the super chats? One second. Let me pull it up. So Thank first we much. have um, Prairie Fire Kowalski saying happy Black History Month. Jason told me, okay. <laughs> Jason That's told close. me unprompted at an NYC bar that all super chats in February count towards reparations. Oh, he also no. said, unprompted, <laughs> unprompted, as a poll, I owe less than other whites. Oh, damn, I'm in on that then too. I, I, I believe I probably did say that. Yeah, it <laughs> sounds chance. like. Yeah, I. Does that sound like something Kowalski thought of? Uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, Jason's- <laughs> totally agree. Totally Kowalski agree. hung with us for a while at the bar afterwards. That's no, we true. had a good time after the show. I was amazed I everyone that. found it. <laughs> Some of us didn't. Some of us on screen didn't. <laughs> Matt disappeared. Matt disappeared. It was an APB out for Matt. Shout out, for shout out to whoever had my cab. I still haven't heard. <laughs> Matt, if you knew how like how how committed I was to finding you, I was going through every nook and cranny. I was like, I went in the kitchen at one point looking for the kitchen. Sure you were. Whoa! It's like uh, I don't want to make an RFK after the. Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have some chat from JV who mm-hmm. says Jason is jealous Mahomes is better than Elway I don't know what that means but it sounds like fighting words it is fighting words because Mahomes <laughs> made with the, the talent that Elway had on both sides of the ball to go to three Super Bowls even though he lost Elway only played with two Hall of Famers right him, I think, is Steve Atwater in the Hall of Fame? I know Terrell Davis is in the Hall of Fame. And Terrell Davis only comes the last, what, four years? McCaffrey ago. make it? Hell no. Wasn't there, a, <laughs> wasn't there a linebacker? I don't think Tom Jackson's in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. I don't think Carl, Carl Mettlingberg's in the Hall of Fame. Maybe Randy Gradishar. Randy Gradishar was before Elway. Whoever redesigned those uniforms should be in the Hall of Fame because that. <laughs> so yeah, Mahomes is. Oh is yeah, him. how stoked are you? Um, did y'all get Peyton? I mean, Sean Peyton is the coach of the Denver Broncos. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Giving up a number Talk one for Sean Peyton means you have to do a lot of free agency moves. It means you have to mortgage. A pick for a coach. Yeah. He was still. Oh yeah, that's, shit, that's Isn't good. that awesome? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's good. Did you ever that's see the movie? movie. Um, what was the movie with uh, Will Ferrell? Um, the basketball and semi-pro. You know, oh, what I'm talking yeah. about <laughs> semi-pro. Where they trade one of the dudes for a washing machine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
we're, we're can i add now. this this oh. one last comment it's not a super chat but born center cold world says isn't all jason's kids light skin <laughs> how does that figure in every single one every yeah, single one of are. them there's layers they to are. this they are they are all beige kids that don't look like mine whenever we're together Jason is living proof of the theory that black is nominal is a false. false. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None of those kids. Not near one of them. It's. Uh... <laughs> it just is what it is. <clears throat> Thank you again, man, David, for coming on and joining us. If you, uh, the listening viewing audience haven't done it yet, please hit like and subscribe and the notifications bell so you're alerted whenever we go live also go over and give a like to left reckoning again i can't say enough how that small gesture goes a long way in the support of independent left media also if you're enjoying this become a patron and watch the nyc show excuse me live in its entirety where you can see us all on stage you can see the the hard work that Jordan and Quinn did to make the the backdrop screens. Uh, I was watching a little bit of that when when we got the file and I was downloading and I was like, damn, that should look good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like real proud of that. So <clears throat> thank you once again uh, to super producer Jordan, Quinn for holding down the merch. Sam and Emma for coming on. Before we sign off, I just want to touch on something I was reading about real quick. I haven't seen anybody talking about this, but the Skid Row Housing Trust is facing insolvency and could possibly be facing foreclosure, which would spell doom for many of the people in the 2,000 units they oversee from an article in the LA Times. For more than three decades, the trust has been a mainstay of Los Angeles nonprofit housing community, building and managing nearly 2,000 units of single residence, occupants, buildings, and permanent supportive housing. Skid Row Housing Trust is not only an institution in the region for providing much needed housing for people on the margins, it really led in creating a norm of permanent supportive housing, said Miguel Santana, president and chief executive uh, of the Weingart Foundation, which shipped in $200,000 late last year to help keep the organization solvent. The Hilton Foundation and Cedar sinai philanthropic arm also donated, donated $250,000 and $150,000, respectively, to help the trust stay afloat in their near term. The footprint in L.A. is significant, says Satana. They have been advocates for preserving housing for people who most need it. So it's unfortunate that it's gotten to this point with their finances where they're not able to maintain the breadth of assets they have. But several years of running deficits of as much as $14 million per year, according to their own financial disclosures, left the organization struggling to pay employees and pay basic bills. Now, the Skid Row Housing Trust started off as activists trying to prevent prime downtown Los Angeles real estate from becoming more office space. Since 1989, they have taken over much of the older dilapidated buildings in downtown LA and turned them into housing for the unhoused and permanent supportive housing units as well, which is something that we talk about so much on this show that housing alone is not the answer we need permanent supportive housing, housing that provides services 
for people. But with the passing of Bill HHH, designed to build more affordable housing, and I'll say inverted quotes, affordable housing units, they pivoted to new construction. As you can imagine, the wear and tear of these units gets exacerbated with the clients they serve. It doesn't take much for a tenant to have a meltdown and destroy a unit. As I've said before, my second day at the emergency shelter, someone set their room on fire and destroyed four floors. If you're neglecting your maintenance duties on your existing units to build state-of-the-art new housing, your original older ones will be uninhabitable in no time. Now, with Skid Row Housing Trust facing insolvency, what happens to all this downtown real estate? What does affordable housing really translate to for the average Angelino? Affordable housing in places like Los Angeles have 32 35-year covenants. These covenants state that for that amount of time, the buildings have to be affordable and then they can adjust to market rate. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that most people that rent apartments that are below market rate are not checking to see how long they have before a covenant runs out and their rent drastically increases. In the case of the Hillside Villa Apartments in L.A. County, the tenants were facing 300% rent increases as the developer that built the units did so with interest-free government loans in 1988. The developer then agreed to keep the 124 units affordable for 30 years. When the term was up, some tenants saw their rent increase from $1,000 a month to $3,000 a month. A tenant union was formed. Pressure was put on the developer and the city council member who represented their district, Gil Cedillo. Cedillo, under pressure from the tenants union, proposed to have the city use eminent domain to purchase the units and keep them affordable. The developer's lawyers told the city that most of the tenants were in Section 8, so they'd be fine with the increase. And there were only 27 units that were troubled. Well, we did a whole show about Section 8 and how that works and the difficulty around Section 8. So it is insane to assume that it's just a matter of checking a box and getting a payment increase. The sad reality is that the city can't afford these units and the city attorney was against it all. It's a slippery slope for most municipalities and they just don't have the budget for this strategy, especially when so many buildings are facing the same fate. So what is it? to be done for the tens of thousands of citizens of Los Angeles that are facing these increases. It is an estimated 11,000 buildings are facing this eminent domain, or not eminent domain, I'm sorry, this, uh, this uh, covenant coming due. As we've heard today, there is a federal war on labor. Labor is already a shell of what it was before the New Deal and Taft-Hartley, and the precarity of gig work is being upheld by tenacious companies that fight tooth and nail to make sure right-to-work states and employees' rights stay a thing of utopian fever dreams. This is the era of the individual, and all that is needed to find success is mindfulness coupled with a rise-and-grind mindset, and driving for DoorDash and Uber is just a means to an end. Tech layoffs in mass, affordable housing covenants coming to an end, and we are still dealing with the pandemic. We need help at the federal level to attempt to begin to address these problems. And that won't happen just because we get the right person in office who echoes the right slogans. So until then, do we continue to hope for the best with what we have now? Or 
do we finally start to see through the facade of the political burlesque and start attempting to build real working class power? Let us know what you think in the champagne room. Thank you, Matt and David. Uh, you'll be taking a break from Revolutionary Reckoning for a while. Again, if you haven't done it, please subscribe to Left Reckoning. If you're watching on the Left Reckoning channel, please subscribe to TIR. Could Thank I throw you guys for watching and commenting in the chat. Let us know what you think in the comments. We are. Could I throw something in really quick? Yeah. If you're looking for what you want to cook on sunday for your super bowl party in addition to all the awesome bonus content you get on the left reckoning patreon uh -oh. i have added my world famous official left reckoning texas chili recipe to our patreon oh and you can get that by signing up at patreon.com <laughs> i'm a vegetarian and i want in on that just when you thought you could make it with beans enough. Just if you do eat meat, you can't put beans in the chili. But if you don't eat meat, put beans in there. It'll work perfectly. All Texas right. people don't like beans in their chili. I see. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> Working in the Makes Gulf sense. for the Texas crew. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you on the other side in the champagne room where the phone lines will be open. We are out. Go. Take care. <laughs>